Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So my personal state of emergency is over. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's, I mean, my state of emergency was not as, you know, important as the governor's fake stunt of emergency. But still, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And on the Twitter machine, it's at Pete Callender. So the... Uh, Okay, all right, hang on a second. First off, I just heard in the newscast from Brandon Dixon, WBT News, doing the story about the NFL making some changes to the kickoff rule. And uh, I was not aware of this, so I went and looked up the story and says, you know, some people, not everybody likes it, and you're damn right not everybody likes it. All right. I don't like it. But I don't know anything about it yet, so I'm withholding all of the judgment. I'm going to read the story during one of the breaks. We'll circle back, Jen Psaki style. But let me just start here. The, uh, the field is getting crowded, um, but, uh, you know, how many lanes are there actually in, in the field here to, to win the office? you got the brash disruptor candidate with commanding leads in, like, all of the polling at least in the primary, maybe not in the general. So would a more generic Republican type of candidate gain traction in the general, stand a better chance of winning the general election against the the known entity Democrat who's kind of meh? Because the disruptor might be very good in the primary, but will not be able to gain support in the general. Right. Yes, exactly. I'm talking about the North Carolina gubernatorial race. Yes, obviously. So political observers at four universities say Mark Walker's entrance into the 2024 governor's race won't change the presumptive favorite. Does, but it does crowd the lane of one challenger and it will offer North Carolinians a Trump linked alternative. So Mark Walker, and by the way, this is by Alan Wooten. I don't know. It's at, I, I found the story at thecentersquare.com, but I want to say, I want to say thecentersquare.com. I don't know if they actually employ journalists themselves or if they are an aggregation service. I forget. Anyway, um, Alan Wooten's article at thecentersquare.com. He says, Mark Walker, the former congressman who formally announced a bid on his 54th birthday over the weekend, is a consensus long shot candidate in the Republican primary. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, 54, as well as State Treasurer Dale Falwell, 64, have already launched bids. The Democrat field remains crowded with just the one, Josh Stein. Almost as if the Democrats are looking for a coronation again 
And by the way, look, I don't mean to pick on the Democrats here. Part of the problem the Democrats are running into is what uh, the same problem Republicans had 20 years ago in North Carolina, which was uh, when you have very few seats that are available to you to win, you get people into those seats and then they just they they park their rear ends there and they don't move. And it creates this this bottleneck. And then people who are coming up, you know, through the farm systems, if you will, the the city councils, the county commissions and such state legislative races where you get the experience of running campaigns, of doing interviews, of creating policy, getting some wins under the belt, but also, you know, going out and fundraising and doing the the baby kissing and the the shaking of hands, or is it the shaking babies and hand kissing, whatever. You do all of those things that then make you a, a better skilled, seasoned, polished politician and a better candidate on the trail, right? And when you don't have a lot of opportunities to run for those offices because you can't challenge people in a safe seat, for example, if you are, uh, if you are running, if you're a Democrat and you want to run for Congress in our area, you can't challenge Alma Adams, right? You can't, you can't challenge her in a primary. You're not going to win. And you're going to anger a lot of people in your party who then are probably not going to give you money or endorse you later because, you know, some of them actually wanted to run for that office, too. But, you know, they knew better than to challenge a sitting congresswoman of the same party. So it creates this this logjam or bottleneck where you can't get people up and through. It's like a reverse funnel. Well, I guess it could be the funnel going the opposite direction, going down versus up. Well, whatever. Okay, so. You've got this this problem that Democrats have just structurally because of the the redistricting, right, the way the lines are drawn, but also at a state level, they don't have any U.S. Senate races that they hold or, or seats that they hold, right? They don't, they've only got four of the 10 Council of State races. They don't have any recent um, uh, judicial campaign wins. And now with Michael Morgan saying he's going to retire out of the state Supreme Court, it's going to be an open seat, and Democrats could very well lose that one, too. So what happens is you don't end up moving people through the system except to lose, right? They, they run, and then they lose. And after you lose enough of these races, you kind of get branded as a loser. <laughs> people, don't, people don't want to vote for you because they're like, oh, there's that guy running again. Oh, there she is. Keep running. Yeah, one day you'll get it, you know. So Mark Walker is going to make another run for another one of these offices. And honestly, I'm not sure why Dale Falwell was already in. He was already there to give people who are, you know, kind of squeamish about Mark Robinson. Falwell was there to provide that alternative vote. I don't know if it's going to be enough to uh, to get past Robinson. But now with Walker in the race... I don't see I don't see the lane for him. And I'm not sure if Dale Falwell is going to be able to stay in the race for a couple of reasons. So Chris Cooper, um, political science and public affairs professor at Western Carolina University. Um, he's quoted in this pay, uh, in this piece, rather, um, saying that uh, Falwell's case just got more difficult as he will have some company in that lane. Stephen Green, a political science professor at NC State University, 
says, quote, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Robinson is an awful general election candidate for North Carolina. But we have seen time and again around the country, Republican primary voters nominating awful general election candidates so long as they seem to best channel the, quote, all culture war all the time and fealty to Donald Trump that seems to characterize what the majority of Republican primary voters want. I don't know who this Stephen Green fella is. It's the first time literally that I've ever seen him quoted in an article about NC politics. But I have some questions about his objectivity. Um, let me see here. Let's go on to Michael Bitzer, professor of politics and history at Catawba College. And it's Catawba College. I'm just kidding. Um, Catawba College, he feels uh, much like 2022's contest, he says. In 2022, Robinson seems to be the front runner because of his strong Trump-like nature, while state treasurer Dale Falwell's candidacy mirrors the McCrory approach. Again, maybe I am maybe I'm unique in a bad way here. I'm unusual, but I don't know. Do we have to view everything through this prism of Trump? Mark Robinson is not Donald Trump. I understand the similarity of the disruptor candidate. That's why I made the point of opening as I did with the disruptor thing. You probably thought I was talking about Trump the whole time and Ron DeSantis and all that. No, no. Robinson, right? He's a disruptive candidate, sure. But Trumpian? I'm not I'm not sure he's Trumpian. I like like Mark Robinson does not speak in word salad for starters. He's also not a millionaire. Not a not a TV star, right? He gave a speech at a city council meeting. He is a dynamic speaker. Don't get I mean he is I think he's a better public speaker than Donald Trump is. Whether he's reading off a teleprompter or going off the cuff, I think he is a better public speaker. He he brings crowds to their feet. He's inspiring. He's passionate. But he also goes into the culture war stuff where Donald Trump didn't wade into those waters. So, I don't know. I'm not a political science at a North Carolina university, a political science um, a professor. I mean, I... I merely had a, a minor in poli-sci, but I don't know. Maybe they're teaching different stuff at political science yeah, curriculum. I don't know. He says Walker would have more statewide recognition this time with his 2022 race, but pulling only 10% of the primary vote two years ago means he needs to invest heavily and challenge Robinson if he doesn't want a repeat of 2022 in this upcoming primary battle. Look. Robinson has got the inside track. He's lined up a lot of endorsements already. He's got a ton of money already. And look, Democrats also would prefer he be the guy. They think it's going to be way easier to run against him than to run against Dale Falwell or Mark Walker. They want to run against Robinson. And I think that they're in luck because I think Republicans want to put Robinson up against Josh Stein. They think Robinson can win. A lot of people think Robinson can win. But a lot of people also thought that Dan Forrest could win. Speaking of Dan Forrest, one of the guys that worked for Dan Forrest, Andrew Dunn, he writes a a blog at longleafpolitics.com. He's actually been in the game, and we'll read what he has to say about this announcement in a minute. 
All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. All right, so Mark Walker understands that he's a long shot to win the Republican nomination for governor, right? So his first goal is a much smaller one, writes Andrew Dunn, who worked for uh, the former lieutenant governor of North Carolina, former uh, gubernatorial candidate, Dan Forrest. Andrew Dunn now writes at longleafpolitics.com. And so what he says is Walker's smaller goal, the first goal, is relevancy. He's a former congressman, a Southern Baptist pastor from the triad. He launched his bid for North Carolina governor on Saturday with an unusually transparent look into his campaign strategy and a heavy emphasis on electability next November. In front of a modest crowd of supporters at a church in Kernersville, he laid out a 40-day sprint to cement his place in the race. By the time that the campaigns file their finance reports on June 30th, Walker says he's going to need to show at least a million dollars in the bank. That's the key for him. 500000 for his campaign, 500000 for independent PACs who support him. That would still leave him far behind Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, whose polling numbers show him in a dominant position to win the primary, but it might give Mark Walker some momentum to keep raising money and give Robinson a real competitor in the race. So we will know by the end of June whether or not Robinson is going to be sort of the hands uh uh, hands-down favorite to win. I almost said hands-on favorite. That's different. The hands-down favorite to win. Or do you, know, do you just kind of limp along and stay in the race and hope that Robinson implodes? That's also part of the strategy, I suspect. <laughs> That's, like he says something. Right, keep in mind, the left is not going to do anything that jeopardizes Robinson's ability to secure the GOP nomination. Josh Stein came out, made a couple of, uh, you know, made the initial campaign video, made a couple of attacks against Robinson. But right now, they're just kind of holding their fire. Media Matters has been leaked some stuff, and they've been running some stuff on uh, about Facebook posts that Mark Robinson wrote. There's all the the video and sound bites from all of the churches that Robinson has been visiting over the last three or four years, uh, doing these speeches and, you know, doing anti LGBT type of, uh, speeches and commentary. All of that's going to come out. A lot of it already has, who knows what else is there. I don't, I'm not an oppo researcher, but I got to believe that people are swimming in content right now. So are they going to release that stuff before the Republican, Primary? Of course not. Why would you? First, I mean, you got a lot of time. 
But you want Robinson. If I mean, think of it from the lefty's perspective. Who do you think is an easier candidate for Josh Stein to beat? If you are a Democrat, who do you think, if you're looking at Falwell, Walker, and Robinson, who do you think is easier to beat? And from a Democrat strategist standpoint, you're going to say it's Robinson because of all of the comments he's made. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the Democrat strategist is going to say. So they're going to sit on all of that ammo, which means Robinson and Falwell are going to have to try to tease this stuff out. They're the ones that are going to have to go and find it, do the oppo hits, and try to get traction on it. Most of North Carolina's political establishment has thrown its weight behind Mark Robinson. He had more than a dozen elected officials appearing at his campaign launch last month, including a lot of the legislative leaders. Now, there's another angle here. The legislature doesn't really need a governor of their own party if they have a supermajority. Pat McCrory learned that, right? Roy Cooper's learning it as well. Doesn't matter. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. Um, going over the uh, the entrance of Mark Walker into the gubernatorial race in North Carolina. It happened over the weekend. And uh, look, I like Mark Walker. Uh, I actually voted for him in the U.S. Senate race. Would I vote for him in the Republican primary? I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't know. I I got to see how the all three of these guys perform in the in the campaign. But there has to be some sort of weighing of Mark Robinson as a candidate in the general election, right? And there's also something to keep in mind. While yes, it would be pe- uh, preferable to have a Republican in the governor's mansion. It's not necessary automatically. If the Republicans are able to keep a supermajority in the legislative chambers, they don't even really need a Republican in the governor's mansion. And sometimes it's actually more of a bit of a headache. Because if you get a Republican governor that disagrees with you on something, as we saw when Pat McCrory was governor and he would fight some of the uh, the legislation because he saw it as encroachment on executive powers – Right. Then you can't just cast it as a left versus right, Republican versus Democrat kind of a thing. And you can't rally the base around, you know, GOP versus the evil Democrats. You can't do that if it's a Republican governor. So there's a downside there. So if they have a supermajority, it's not as big of a deal. And so if if people are worried that Robinson is going to be a negative and I'm not sure that he is. I don't want to say that he is, but if there but there are people who think that he might be in the Republican Party, there are people that 
are concerned that Robinson might be a drag because of some of the comments he has made about drag. <laughs> but about, but about LGBT folks. And you've heard me. I've talked about his comments over the uh, over the years. And I think he gets a bad rap. I think he I think people misconstrue things that he says. They willfully misinterpret stuff. But some of the other things he says, they, they are problematic. And I know how media operates. You do as well, right? So what's going to happen? They're going to they're going to take his words. They're going to twist them. They're going to run them in ads, and it's going to uh, dissuade people from you know the mushy middle folks, as Rush would call them. It, they will not vote for him. Now, maybe as a black Republican, he is able to make up some of that erosion of voters. He's able to make it up with black voters. I don't know. That's possible if he you know leans into the. Um, sort of the Yunkin parent uh, effect that we saw up in Virginia. Maybe he's able to harness that. But then again, whatever became of, of that program that he launched to get all the evidence of the way the CRT stuff was being promoted in our schools. Has there been any? Look, I follow this stuff pretty closely. I, I'd like to think I follow this stuff pretty closely. I haven't seen any updates. I haven't seen one in a very long time. I see other people that are still doing this work. Other people, usually like Moms for Liberty organizations, right? Just local parents that are going into school boards and just ripping them new ones over books that are on the shelves, over curriculum that's being promoted, that kind of stuff. But I'm not getting any more updates out of the LG's office. Now, I don't know why that is. But I just pointed out, if he's going to run on that message, I thought he would be building you know, more of a, a case, you know, over the course of many, many months into years since he first unveiled this thing. You, you build this body of evidence that you can then present to people and it's in the forefront of their mind and they, they associate you with this issue. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that they left it all on the field, let's say, on that one. In a poll run by Republican consulting firm The Differentiators, these are former Phil Berger guys, uh, Senate leader Phil Berger, this is uh these guys were associated with him. Um the primary electorate supported Robinson over Walker in a head-to-head 58% Two, eight. So you're saying there's a chance. It's 58% to 8%. That is what we would call in the business a landslide. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Mark Walker knows this. He knows all of this. His campaign pitch is one thing. It really comes down to one thing, according to Andrew Dunn that he is better suited than Mark Robinson to win the general election. And so my question is, is he? Is he? Is he really better suited? Mark Walker, is he better suited? He wasn't able to win the Republican primary statewide for the U.S. Senate seat against Ted Budd. Ted Budd, right? He wasn't able to do that. Do we think he's actually going to be able to get past Mark Robinson? who is more popular than Ted Budd? I mean, people know who Mark Robinson is, and Mark Robinson is a dynamic speaker, and I don't think Mark Robinson is the kind of guy that's going to shy away from a debate. And honestly, 
I am really looking forward to seeing Mark Robinson on a debate stage. I think it'd be fantastic. I'm telling you, like he he has a stage presence. He really does. I've interviewed him, and and um, he's quick. He's funny. He can sing "Everywhere Man" by uh, uh, Johnny Cash. He knows all the lyrics. He never mentioned Robinson by name, but Mark Walker took shots, open shots at the front runner in the race on three major fronts. Number one, the tenor of their messaging, how it sounds to people. Number two, the ability to withstand a big dollar negative campaign because there is going to be a lot of money poured into this race by these outside groups. Like I said, Media Matters is already here. They are already here. They're already going through all of his interviews. They're going through all of his, oh, by the way, hi, Media Matters going through all of his um, his uh, sermons and such that he's been doing in the churches. And by the way, this might actually be the thing that, that leads him to victory. All of those church appearances, right? He's galvanizing, motivating a, a portion of the electorate that may not otherwise be as engaged. I don't know all the churches he has gone to. If he's going to a mix, black churches, white churches, Baptist churches, well, I think probably just Baptist church, but I don't know. Like maybe he's going to other other types of congregations, and he's trying to spread these this message far and wide. And so that may be, you know, that may be his uh, secret weapon. I don't know. Um, also, this third element, which I found the most intriguing, the ability to recruit new business to North Carolina, which I don't know, considering the congestion and the amount of people we have here and the concerns about it, you know, turning into California on the East Coast, like maybe we don't want to keep recruiting everybody here. But this is a concern that Andrew Dunn is bringing out, which I had not heard about. I've not heard anybody discuss this, but there's concern that Robinson, because of the social issues, the culture war issues and what he has already said, that he would engender and inspire the kinds of boycotts like HB2 resulted in. And there's concern among the business crowd. Andrew Dunn writing at longleafpolitics.com, which I highly recommend you subscribe. If you care about North Carolina politics, you want to subscribe, it's free. You can read his Substack. You can also donate to him, I'm sure, but uh, longleafpolitics.com or longleafpol.com. Andrew Dunn writing at the, uh, at the page talks about the three themes that Mark Walker is focusing on. Number one is the tenor of the messaging is the difference between him and Mark Robinson. Number two, the ability to withstand a big dollar negative campaign from especially from outside groups. And three, the ability to recruit new businesses. All right, this is, a, according to Andrew Dunn, who, again, worked for the former lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest. He says, this is a real concern that a Robinson administration would derail the state's economic development efforts. The theory goes that as governor, Robinson would be continually sucked into controversial social issue debates and make CEOs wary of relocating to or expanding in North Carolina. Again, you can discount that concern, but there are people that have that concern. Democrats also have already launched a scorched earth campaign against Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor, pumping out snippets of speeches that he has made over the years about the Second Amendment, women's issues, the LGBT agenda. Robinson's speaking style lends itself to sound bites that could leave moderate voters unsettled. 
Tens of millions of dollars are expected to pour into this governor's race, making it the most expensive in the state's history. I've seen some predictions pegging it at like $100 million total for this race. Record setting. Walker's entry into the race complicates things for State Treasurer Dale Falwell. Falwell is in even more dismal polling position than Walker is. And he has another major disadvantage, which is time. Because Walker doesn't hold any office currently. Falwell is the treasurer and takes his job seriously and is very meticulous about separating his office from his campaign. And then he tells the story, links to this story about how a reporter tried to do an interview with him and they they couldn't schedule a time easily because... Falwell was at his office and didn't want to use the state treasurer's Wi-Fi connection (laughs) to do the Zoom call or whatever. So he's very meticulous about keeping all of this stuff separate. And that that poses challenges, just operational, you know, pragmatic challenges. Um, The March primary is going to be here quicker than you realize, and it's likely in Falwell's best interest to drop out of the race, says Andrew Dunn. Now, I did get an email here. I will not tell you from whom, but someone, let's just say, involved in politics in the Republican Party. And they say, I disagree with these political scientists, I quoted in the original story there, about Mark Walker squeezing Dale Falwell. I think Mark Walker helps Falwell because Walker and Robinson are going after the conservative evangelical Southern Baptist vote. That leaves Falwell the, quote, establishment and fiscal votes. Robinson is still the front runner. And that being said, I'd be a little nervous, though, with Trump and Robinson headlining the North Carolina ticket. Now, that's a pretty interesting thought. What if it's Trump at the top and Robinson for governor? Do you think that that actually builds the turnout that helps the Republicans down ballot or not. The comparison that the, the uh, political scientists made about, you know, Robinson being the Trump candidate kind of thing, but they were equating it to the Senate race. Well, Mark Walker was in that race. Dale Falwell is equated to be the Pat McCrory in that race. For this governor's run, which I'm not so sure that's a good analogy, but maybe it is. But remember, when Mark Walker got in, you remember what the criticism was, what the concerns were at the time? They said Walker is going to take votes away like they're, oh, Pat's trying to get Walker in the race. Pat wants Walker in the race. So this way he draws votes away from Bud. That was what was initially said. And then Bud got the endorsement from Trump. And the rest was history. Oh, and then also millions of dollars spent against Pat. But I don't know if it's I don't know if it's an apples to apples comparison. But it seems like hoping for a Mark Robinson implosion is the only realistic approach, Dunn says. All right, hey, real quick, it is estimated that more than six million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th. 
from 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock. It's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to Mix1079.com and get tickets and come bust a move on the dance floor or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to Mix1079.com and thank you for considering the request.